Hey, boys. Do you like playing bad cards? No. Don't answer that. Do you like playing competitive magic? Yes. Don't answer that either. Do you like playing competitive magic with bad cards? Sometimes. Don't answer that either. It doesn't matter. That's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we're going to talk about CPDH. I am Julian. I'm joined by Eric. Uh, hi. Oak. Hello. And Jeff. Yep. We are a longtime play group <laughs> during the multiverse in the hopes of leveling up both our game and yours. And today we're leveling up so far that we're actually going into a completely different format, a format that some might say doesn't actually exist. But before that, Chev. All right. So bringing back the, the, the news section after the, the lengthy um, absence, we want to talk about the biggest thing happening in Magic this week, which is historic horizons and digital first mechanics coming to Magic. So a little bit of background, uh, since it was kind of sprung upon us this Monday. Spoilers are this week. I believe the set drops on MTGA next week. And this uh, the, the event that all the cards are being brought to ends early September. So it's a quick cycle. So for since this podcast, I think, will be coming out the day that the event starts. Okay. Right now, it's the 28th of July. And I think the event starts, what, the 2nd of August? I think something like that. Okay, so, so that's... That's the actual yeah, yeah. So the, the I, b I believe the, the set itself is Historic Horizons. I believe the event to play, and it, it's coming out in the Jumpstart model. Uh, it should be out today-ish or around this week, and it runs a month. Uh, and then all the cards are available via wildcard. What this is going to do is it brings around 370-ish cards uh, to Historic. Uh, a bunch, most of them are from Modern Horizons 1 and Modern Horizons 2. But the few cards, and probably the most, uh, ag not, not aggravating, but interesting cards, are going to be the 31 brand new um, digital first cards that are being brought into the game. Now, they feature three digital first mechanics. Seek, which is find the first occurrence of a card in a deck that meets a certain criteria. It's random in the sense where it's just the first card that meets it, and shuffling is not required since this is done, obviously, by the computer. Uh, perpetuate, which is give a card new characteristics that exist on it across all zones. So some of the examples you'll see is give a creature minus one, minus one perpetually, meaning if it dies and it's in the graveyard, it's one less power and toughness in your hand, one less power and toughness, etc. And the last is conjure, which is bring a card from outside the game or even format into any zone as a separate game object. So we've seen some examples of conjuring cards into your hand, into the graveyard. It's weird, it's wild. Um, what are your guys' initial thoughts on mainly these, these new cards and new digital ideas coming to Historic? I'm gonna be honest, I feel like I've seen a lot of these before back when uh, I played a lot of Hearthstone. Um... <laughs> You're saying these weren't, you know, original ideas from Wizards of the Coast on a digital card game, Eric? Uh, certainly not Conjure. Uh, and they seem to have taken the same bold leap that uh, the Hearthstone devs did with uh, the Conjure mechanic, which is that uh, it doesn't describe the card that you're generating in any way and assumes you know exactly what's about to happen. Uh, so in the same way that Ysera generates a dream card at the end of your turn, uh, cards will just be like, add a tropical island to your hand. We all know what that is. Someone booting up MTGA who's only ever played Digital Magic probably has no freaking clue what that does. And so we'll look at this card and be like, I don't know what that is. Is that just an island? That's bad. I'm uh, hoping when you like hover over the card, it shows it 
next to you, but that's going to be a pain in mobile. <laughs> yeah. And Eric Eric brought up there is a card that conjures a tropical island. That's just a land. Like God forbid you're 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 conjuring an actual card that has nowadays literally like whole dictionaries worth of conjure a questing them. beast. Yeah, like oh, what God. what is going on? Um and one thing that I do want to say is that like some of these designs are are ending up looking pretty familiar. Uh namely uh I forget the name of the card. I'm just going to have to pull it up really quickly in the Hex Drinkers chat. Uh Pool of Vigorous Growth is um certainly a decision. It's one in a green for an artifact. X tap, discard a card, create a token that is a copy of a random creature card with mana value X. Activate only as a sorcery. So, in other words, discard a card, cast a random creature spell with mana value X. Why? Why in your first leap into digital-only mechanics did you decide that random was the best way to go? You don't just want to always be able to play Momir? That's just so much fun. <laughs> no. I could see this grow as, like, a state, as some sort of, like, weird... Like Gladiator, where it's a format that kind of exists in MTGA, but not with, but requires like a bit of handholding. I could see Momer Vig coming in as like a, a pseudo historic format, but it's a good point. We see we see a couple cards that do random things, um, um, in this set. I think one is Tome of the Infinite, which is a legendary artifact for three. Pay a blue, tap it, conjure a random card from Tome of the Infinite spellbook into your hand. It perpetually gains. You may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast the spell. Uh, for those who are wondering what's in that spell book, there's some article on Wizards about it. There's like 10 cards. I don't know how they're going to show all those cards in the client at the same time. Uh, another interesting development. <laughs> yeah, really glad that they went with that plan of... God damn it. <laughs> there's a, also, just for further meme value slash insanity, there is a... Uh... Well, there's, there's a monocolored planeswalker in every color that will do these things, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit. Um, but one of them is Davriel, and his, like, plus is accept uh, one of Dervi Davriel's, like, terms and terms then and also, conditions. like, in terms and conditions, which already is just a meme. But, like, there's a, a list of, like... <clears throat> I don't know, 12 on either side, and then you get to, like, you have to, like, randomly pick from, like, a subset of them for what you get, but then, like, there's, like, an asterisk, and it says, literally, these terms and conditions, like, could change at any moment, which I feel is just, like, very meta for companies just being, like, hey, by the way, we can, like, do whatever we want, and fuck you, um, but now it's a magic card, and Wizards is just, like, hey, we still do whatever we want, and also fuck you. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it's, uh, it's, yeah. it's kind of funny, too, because you, you have cards like that where um, I'm assuming they're, they're keeping that up. So it's like, oh, you know, one combination of term and condition is very good. So we're going to nerf it. And since these are digital first cards, we can change them with no issue with paper, I, I think, is, is an interesting development they can do. And while some things, I think, are, are movements to reduce the cognitive load that might be required in paper, uh, I'm thinking like when you conjure a specific card as opposed to needing tokens. Like, this object just now exists in whatever zone, and you don't have to worry about keeping track of tokens, using dice, or that sort of thing. And in a similar sense, Perpetuate, too, which is this mechanic that permanently alters a card's characteristics for the rest of the game. Uh, you, you don't have to keep track of plus one, plus one counters, or minus one, minus one counters. It doesn't worry about any of those things, and it's kind of just changing that game object in a way where you can permanently understand and see those changes. 
And then at the same time, you have cards like this Davriel and other ones like the Tomb of the Infinite with the random book. And it, it seems like a, a shift in kind of what is required and how much you're relying on the game engine to keep track of all this state. Question, like rules-ish question, for Conjure, when you conjure a card, it comes in as a physical game object as a card, right? It's not like a token, mm -hmm. so... It is if... a literal card. As soon as it's in the game, it can be counterspelled. Go to your graveyard, then you can reanimate it, then it can get bounced to your hand, and it will exist okay. throughout all of that. Yep. So that is cool, but that kind of brings me to one of my complaints and also happiness with like I'm, I'm very split on this whole thing and i think one of the things one i really like that wizards is doing they're they're like actually uh you know doing digital things with their digital shiny new digital card game arena which is kind of like their flagship and if you guys want to go back all the way to like episode i don't know like six or something when we did our new year's like new year's resolutions and like what do we want to see i think eric brought up we were like magic you are now a digital card game and you are like attempting to be an esport do things with this and like learn from your competitors and they're definitely trying to do things on the other hand though i'm scared and the fact that we are pulling physical like random cards out of nowhere and like doing all these crazy things i think is bad because even though it's cool i think it just continues to add to the ridiculous amount of comp even though the computer is take, uh, keeping track of it for you i feel like it's still kind of adds to the ridiculous amount of complexity that w the, the game already has inherently and we've been seeing in a lot of these more recent sets just with the like the actual amount of rules text on cards and also personally i feel like a lot of these um new mechanics that they're working in are like the parts of magic that i like the least like the like it's chaos, it's random, or, like, just crazy variance-filled things. Like, Magic is inherently a game that has variance, but generally, people like Magic because even though there's variance, you can compensate for that, and you can... It's a skillful game, right? You're, you're, mm -hmm. you're, in, you're sucking all of that skill out in favor of, in my opinion, meme value and also trying to kind of follow in uh, Hearthstone's footsteps, which Hearthstone has its own problems, so, y you know. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I do want to really quickly say, we're going to say the name Hearthstone a bunch here. Uh, I know I no longer play Hearthstone. None of these guys active, actively play Hearthstone at any point. Uh, Julian, you can bleep this out or whatever. Fuck Activision Blizzard. Monsters. I mean, that's that's fine. Like, there's uh, I don't know, like yeah, no, Hearth that, that was just a sidebar that I wanted to address in right. case anyone <laughs> thought we were endorsing that game in any way. No, Hearthstone, <laughs> we are people, not. Like Hearthstone is a part of the modern culture zeitgeist. It is it is a well known game. People who don't even play games know of Hearthstone. Um, it is one of uh, the pioneers of digital CCGs, TCGs, whatever. Um. That being said, there you know you can separate a game and how good or fun it is from obviously the people that create it. That goes for all art forms, but that's a tangent that we can get into on a different podcast. Certainly, yeah. I think my, my I think my biggest thing here is I, I think the the invention of these digital first mechanics is is cool. Um, I I initially and I stand true to I saw a bunch of these cards and immediately knew they were not for me. Like, like Julian said, these are not parts of Magic I fully enjoy, especially the way that some of these operate. Uh, Perpetuate, for example, seems so uninteractable. 
Like you change a card forever and there's no way to go back that we've seen. Maybe there's some going erase variant that resets a card to its initial state. But I thought you, you said there just, was a white card that undid I, all I made perfection. that up. I was guessing. Oh. I was like, oh, if no. only there could be a card that could reset. And so you, you have some design there. Um, but changing a card stats forever, I think I saw today there was a three mana green 2-2. Two, two. You play it, uh, give a card in your hand perpetually, plus two, plus two. Which just seems like it could be really good on a, a small death touch creature or something. And I'm, I'm sure that's what they're kind of going for. Anything um, with haste would be... Yeah. I, I immediately knew this wasn't for me, uh, but my question is, I'm wondering why Historic was chosen as the vehicle for this. Like, Historic was a format that existed, and it's it's gone through some things. There's been the remastered sets added to it. It seemed like we, we all thought it was on a similar trajectory to maybe Pioneer, where it has all of these old sets. Uh, Pioneer Master was at one point coming to MTGA, and so you have this, like, building meta um and and now we're dumping in 370 cards from modern horizons which again could be okay this is developing um historic as a format still but now we have these just just 31 cards with digital mechanics that are going to completely change historic and to me it feels a little bit like that meme of someone holding up a salad and someone else with a giant bottle of olive oil like (laughs) i i think these mechanics could have been cool if they were kept in the jumpstart medium that they were introduced kind of trying them out sort of thing like we have this new interesting um, historic jumpstart variant with the 46 packs. They all have a few of these cards in them. See how that plays. Or introduce a new format that is essentially digital first. But I know that historic was the first digital um, uh, format that Magic kind of introduced. It just seems like we're, we're smushing things together that didn't necessarily need to be smushed. I, Jeb, if I could... I, I, think, I think that's exactly why this is it. So historic is their only they're only digital only format right mm. they, they can't they can't ever do anything like this in standard um they really can't do it even in some of the older formats yeah. like modern or legacy just because those are already so entrenched but historic has kind of been this uh combination of wonderland and weird chernobyl testing site where they've kind of just been like throwing literally everything around and seeing yeah. what sticks except when i say everything it, it's got like the force of like a nuclear bomb i you know people who play historic saw you know the mystical archive come and go um and even the original jumpstart come and go and it's been it's been ridiculous but the fact that they have this digital only format and also because now that things are opening up at least in the u.s um we have in-store lgs play um i think canada is about to open up too i was listening to a podcast that the guys were canadian they said that like next week or the week after they have like official in-store play again um so everything's opening up so now historic really is strictly just an online only format it's already become this weird amalgamation of all sorts of things so i think this is the spot if they want to do something like this this is the spot right because now people can go to fnm and they can play standard or draft or whatever it is you know um so historic now has kind of just become like chev when you when this first happened you were like great another crazy thing that's happening to historic i don't really care i guess i'm just not going to pay attention anymore i feel like that's historic is going to become that where it's just like if people want the most insane version of magic <laughs> they're gonna go play historic and otherwise yeah. it's a uh, speaking of pioneer though i will say i think this is a good thing i think it's a good thing one for differentiating historic and making it really its own thing and kind of like because historic originally people were like why is does this exist yeah what is historic but um i think it's good because historic now is like 
there's no going back. Historic is firmly right. its own niche. Like the people who want to play Historic are going to play Historic, and otherwise, no way. And then also now Pioneer, especially since once again we're doing paper events now, Pioneer can actually be its thing because Historic can never be played in paper. So Pioneer now kind of occupy occupies that modern light, uh, right? You know, niche that people were wanting, especially since Standard has been so crappy the past few years. People have been like, oh, I don't really want to play modern, but like something kind of in the middle would be nice. Pioneer is now hopefully going to grow to fill that role. So I, I do think that is a, a boon from this uh, um, thing yeah. that's happening. Um, but. What, my sort of final comments on this, uh, and you guys can keep going if you want, are really uh, just sort of, again, as Julie mentioned, this is what I asked for at the start of the year with our New Year's resolutions thing. I asked Wizards, hey, go out, design new things. Come, come back to me with new ideas that I haven't heard before. Do not bring me a 5-mana 4-4 with Vigilance. I will not accept that. J give me a reason what? to continue playing your game. What if it was green, though? What if it was green, And though? drew a card and... What if it had a menace and was called Relic's Law? Um, anyway, the, the reason... Uh, and I, I think they did a great job of that with Dungeons. Dungeons are something that exists outside the field of play, affects the game... You progress through them using cards and mechanics, and I think that was awesome. And then they were like, all right, now, what if we took that, dropped some acid, and then got real wild with it? And I think this is just a little too far in left field for me. This is too reminiscent of effects that are too random and effects that, like, are just terrible for reminder text and showing you cards that you don't own and aren't even in the game, really. And it's just not what I need. One thing that I do want to say about Conjure is that is good is that if you bring it to paper, you beat the reserve list. You aren't printing Tropical Island. You're printing a card that generates a theoretical Tropical Island. That's true. We saw it with Garth. It, it, it seems like of these mechanics, it's the easiest... It's the only one that you can bring to paper in a reasonable way because we saw it with Garth of creating these token objects of cards specifically Black Lotus, um, that could be sort of seen as getting around the reserve list. So I, mm. I, I do agree there. And then Perpetuate, I honestly think is just kind of screwed. Um, it's super uninteractable. It's emblems. It's bad, is what it I is. I think my, my, my one closing comment in this whole discussion is specifically with Perpetuate. I think it's my least favorite of all of them. I like the idea of it. But I really am, am waiting for the official word on Command Zone being the one zone that Perpetuate doesn't go to. Because if you think about it, like if these characteristics follow cards across all zones, um, there's, there's a creature that I think was spoiled that gives another uh, creature perpetually minus one, minus two. That just nukes any two toughness commander forever. You, you can't play it from the Command Zone. It's dead all the time. Or uh, another card that I thought was really has the ability to be terrible is Baffling Defenses. It's a one white, one generic instant target creature's base power perpetually becomes zero. You, the, the, the creature's done. It's, it's gone. You can't, you can't really do anything with it. And unlike Pacify or uh, Banishing Light or those, you can't get rid of the card that kind of nerfed it. You're, you're stuck with that creature in all game zones forever. You can't uh, blink so it, think, you can't reanimate it. It's it is yeah, a zero true. power Blinking creature. It no longer gets rid of those effects. So I'm I'm really concerned 
um, it, as concerned as I can be from my a thousand foot perspective, looking down and being like, I, that doesn't interest me at all. Uh, my, I, my last thing is, I just really hope this doesn't destroy the idea for historic brawl. Because originally there was a lot of push for historic brawl where you could play the cards outside of standard, um, have a slightly larger deck. I think they decided on a 99 card or a 100 card deck for historic brawl on arena because you had a larger card pool to play with. And these just, to me, it ruins the idea and I'm, I'm not looking forward to that format anymore. It won't be something I kind of spend time with. Oh, are you um, going to say anything? Because I was going to just say one last sentence and end it. Yeah, I've I, was got gonna, I just have yeah, one yeah, get, sentence get in, get in total. <laughs> um, I'm okay, too. Um, uh, I'll say, for all the reasons stated above, I'm not a huge fan of the digital-only mechanics. But I do want to say, don't sleep on some of these other uh, inclusions. This is historic. We're getting a lot of stuff mm -hmm. from, like, especially, like, the Modern Horizons set, sets now. Excuse me. Um, like, the ones that really stood out to me are like Dragon's Rage Channeler and Unholy Heat, which were just pr un printed in uh, MH2. And, you know, no, no no particular reason. Those might, those are red. You know, just pure coincidence. <laughs> also, like, oh, you, Chev, you were touching on Historic Brawl. I, I noticed that they did uh, add in a few cool legendaries in there, too, like the First Sliver and uh, Sithis, who we did a podcast mm -hmm. all about not too long ago. Um, but... Like you said, with the perpetuate mechanic, I would really not like to see my Sithis be permanently uh, minus one, minus two, because then I will be never casting it. Ever. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I, I think ultimately, I, I, I like the ballsiness, and I like the, the, you know, kind of adapting to the digital uh, landscape that we're in, but I just do not trust Wizards to not fuck this up, either in terms of power level or in terms of complexity and inaccessibility. I just don't. I just don't trust them. And that's that. Totally fair. Anyway, something that... Oh, sorry, Chev, were you going to... I see you keep opening your mouth, and I'm like... Yeah, I, I have uh, two more comments. You can edit them in where you want. The, the two would be... Um, I think... My, my last issue with this going to historic over uh, a new format is also if people are coming to magic now that it has these digital first mechanics, um, they have the entire glut of previous historic cards to kind of catch up on. It's not like an easy jump ship to something that is recognizable for them and that they can continue to build on as the format grows and develops. They're coming in and it's the middle of a raging sea battle where they, they know a few familiar faces uh, but they're getting pummeled by the ocean in every way and getting slapped around by oars and cannon fire uh, with everything from the original Jumpstart and all the recent standard sets. Um, and the the second comment is, to your point, Julian, of whether or not you trust Wizards to kind of go with this, I'm, I'm getting that sort of toe in the water with the Walking Dead vibes here, where they wouldn't commit to this large initiative and 31 cards if this wasn't the first of a larger push um, on MTGA. We saw it with, you know, the idea that blue can deal with enchantments or, or artifacts with Raven form and the other one. We saw it with Universes Beyond. And it, it seems like th there's now a tradition to do it a little bit where it's just enough to cause problems and then push it, push it, push it until people have too much of it. And I, I, if this is round one or wave one, I'm terrified for wave two. 
Fair. Yeah. I, I completely agree with everything you just said. Now, on to something completely different. The past, past the news and these, these big changes to the digital world as we know it, um, we decided that we would spend some time jumping back into Popper uh, for the Popper Power Hour and also touch on the, and, and really learn about this, this new format that we were kind of introduced to recently, which is competitive uh, Popper Dragon Highlander uh, or however, CPDH. Um, we, we decided to spend our, our game night this week doing a couple different things, um, but primarily we played a ton of Popper, obviously. We started with some decks that we believe are Popper uh, Commander through and through. Some, some decks based on advice and ideas from the, the Tryhards community and, and Clay, who has reached out to us about our Popper comment before uh, from that group, to build our own, what we see as competitive Popper Commander decks. And then finally, take some decks from uh, the Tryhards uh, collection or database of competitive Popper decks, which is a, I think, Word doc right now, and see how those compare to what we believe as the competitive Popper format and our just regular Popper decks. We want to kind of dive into this new idea of a competitive take on Popper and see how it differentiates from regular Popper Commander and what are the different sort of intricacies of this format that is starting to see a bit of a push and really just do we like it yeah yeah do we like to play some games at these these lower power levels and um you know any excuse to play with new new and different cards is always always a fun one and just for people who may not remember or know or have heard of the idea of popper dragon highlander pdh uh, the general rule structure is same as Popper. You can only play cards that were at one point in their lifetime printed as common. But for your commander, you can have any creature that was printed at uncommon at any point in its life. This includes non-legendaries. True. Yes. So, you're going to hear some cards in here, I think. Actually, I don't know if you will hear... No, we, we all... Oh, no. Oakley at one point will be playing a non-legendary commander. So that's what's up with that. Yeah, so I guess I guess we'll just go through each of the games, talk about the decks we played, kind of the general idea slash strategy behind the deck, and then once we've got a lay of the land, we'll talk about what actually happened in the games. Um, so, Chev, what did you what did you play for your strictly PDH, just your regular, your own brew? Right. So our our run of the mill popper uh, popper commander. I went for my charade deck. Uh, I've done a deck tech on it before. I played it, excuse me, another night when we did Popper Commander. Um, it's, yeah, Sheree, for those who are unfamiliar, is a, I think it's a five mana two, three uh, from Betrayers of Kamigawa. Uh, yeah, I think it's two, two. I, yeah, two, it's two. A, it's Sorry. a very bad card. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. It's Ignore the, the block of rules text uh, that it had before blocks of rule text were cool. That says, whenever a creature with power one or less is put into your graveyard from the battlefield, you may return that card to the battlefield at the beginning of the next end step if Sheree is still on the battlefield. So as you can guess, this deck is full of power one or less creatures that I can recur for value with ETBs or LTBs uh, or dies triggers and all these kind of things to eke out as much value as possible. And since the deck is mono black, you're going to get a lot of uh, depriving opponents of resources, a little bit of card draw, and basically just churn out the game with an army of small creatures that 
um, <laughs> win with their side effects, so to speak. Mm. Julian, uh, how about you? What would you play in our, our first game? Um, I feel like that's a loaded question. I was, uh, I was. What did you plan to play when you were? Uh, you happened to miss. The game? Yeah, I was. I was unable to make it. I was delayed. Uh, but I was planning to play my Arumi of the Dead Tide, uh, deck that I brewed actually for a year of brew. Um, but it is another kind of like really just i don't know why i was trying to be so mean with this deck but it's just a you're not allowed to have anything deck um and then arumi what she does is basically you can tap her and then uh, a creature exile some cards from your graveyard and a creature in your graveyard gets encore which means that you create um a, a token of it for each opponent that you have and then they have to attack it doesn't matter we really care about the etbs things like all your opponents discard cards all your opponents lose life uh, you draw cards. So basically, I just want to have all the things, and I want you to not have anything, and then even if I have to discard all my stuff too, um, I can just reanimate stuff and eventually just drain you out through sheer brutal attrition. Um, I did get to play this deck one time before, and it was alright. Uh, I definitely think there are some things that could be modified within it um that we'll discuss later on when we're talking about the other formats and kind of what we thought um but it just kind of stalled out and it didn't have really the consistency that it needs um to really be an oppressive force well you know normally i'm sad when you can't make it but i'm okay when things like that don't show up in my my games of magic uh oakley how about you well, Chev, uh, much like you, I had a mono-black deck, and uh, I gotta say, there's a lot of really cool uh, mono-black tech mm -hmm. in Pauper, uh, which I'll go over in a minute, but anyways, my, uh, as was hinted at before, my commander is not a legendary creature, it is the one and only uh, Gary, Merchant of Asphodel, or Grey Merchant of Asphodel, if you're... Uh, not in tune to magic memes, <laughs> um, who honestly should have a legendary printing, where where it's called Gary. I mean, come on. It, he's such an icon at this point. He's like my favorite character in the whole story. Um, uh, Gary's been actually a, a pauper EDH deck I've been scheming on ever since it was uh, printed in Theros Beyond Death. Er, ever since we even, like, really... Or rather, printed at Uncommon in Theros Beyond Death. Um even before we started really talking about it, I was just like, oh man, that's, that's gotta be nasty. Because I, like, brought it up with, uh, some, some people I've, uh, uh, you know, in my other playgroup, uh, before. The, just the idea of PDH. Anyways, um, the idea behind this deck is basically just play a ton of permanents with a lot of, uh, black mana pips, and then just cast Gary over and over, if you can, uh, this is a familiar tune, as Chev pointed out during the game, to Maelstrom Wander, where it's just like, yeah, go ahead, you, you can kill him if you want, like, go go for it. <laughs> it's no big deal. Um, so, um, in case people don't want to do that, which is uh, normally the case, uh, there are a lot of uh, sack effects, as well as effects that can reanimate creatures like Kai's Ghost Form. Uh, put Slap that on Gary, then sack it to uh, something like a Spark Harvest to kill something, and... Uh, get to um just bring just it back and get right another back. trigger yeah <laughs> it's great so yeah I, I that pretty much summarizes the uh strategy of that deck and i'd say it went pretty well because i won <laughs> nice <laughs> and what about you eric 
Yeah, uh, what I'll say about my deck, uh, I played the Utropia deck that I played the first time we did Pop Uh I still was happy with the theoretical design of it, but I got really badly mana flooded. And mm. I think that that taught me a key lesson, which I think you'll probably hear echoed a couple times throughout our discussion of the games, which is that having card draw or like a built-in game plan in the command zone is hugely important. Eutropia in the command zone uh, needs you to have other creatures, not other creatures necessarily, but it's good to have other creatures in play. You need to have enchantments in your hand, and she doesn't replace them, so you need to keep up on drawing cards to match the pace of this game plan. I did not. I saw 30 or 35 <laughs> cards that game. I think it was closer to 30, and uh, I believe I had 15 lands on the field, several ramp spells in my I had played throughout the game. It was messy, to say the least. Not how you want your games to go. But um, in the future, I think I'll, I'll take that lesson and try and... Uh, I don't know if it'll fall on the CPDH or the PDH side of things, and we can talk about how thin that line is uh, later, but uh, probably using Seder Enchanter, uh, Keeper of Fables, or Garrick's Pack Leader, they all are good enough creatures in their own right and they all are a game plan built into the command zone centered on card draw which i just think is so important to this format is that if you just draw trash in this format you need to be able to win with just what you have in the zone mm-hmm. I, I think that that echoes something um like eric said that we're going to see a lot uh particularly in this first game it, it really felt like oakley and i uh kind of ran away with it at, to a certain extent because our commander's were easily accessible and an integral part of the experience of the deck. So while Oakley's commander, even if he had a bad couple turns, could just net him enough life to survive a few of those downticks, uh, and my commander, I, I garnered all this value from just playing these creatures over and over, whereas Eric's commander, a, a more typical, essentially Eutropia, um, is more has an aggro sort of feel to it uh, for green-blue, which is interesting for sure. But whenever you play an enchantment, a creature gets flying in a 1-1 counter, uh, it, it doesn't necessarily add or contribute to other game state besides maybe slightly larger creatures. And with the amount of times I think that Eutropia ended up killed, uh, specifically because of a recurring Abyssal Persecutor, which when it leaves the battlefield, everyone sacks a creature, uh, it, it put Eric in a bad spot and kept him there. Yeah. Uh, so it's the kind of thing where if you don't have access to a critical game piece consistently... Uh, PDH has it takes no prisoners. You you will not come out of it uh, more often than not in the lead. One thing I want to say about especially the or something that was really highlighted in the first game, being that two mono black decks were played, is the strength of black essentially having the only board wipes, the only mm-hmm. really like decent board wipes in uh, Popper. Um, the big ones I can think of are. Um, Pestilence, of course. Uh, Crypt Rats was one that I was running, but didn't really see play. And then um, Gangrenous Zombies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's wild, because like, all these cards are, are ancient, and it's you know black doing direct damage to everyone. And I think it's like the, the I, philosophy at the time was red could do direct damage to a particular source, and black was kind of direct damage across the board. Uh, so it would hurt you and them. I believe the only really comparable card especially to gangrenous zombies, um, which can deal two damage to all creatures and players, 
is maybe Fiery Cannonade, because I know that got a lot of, it got a bit of attention when that got bumped down to common as a red, I think it's three mana sorcery, deal two damage to every non-pirate creature. Mm. And that's, that's really as close as we get. We don't have a lot of access to board wipe. So once a board builds up, the only, the only real thing, um, Oakley was able to use Gargantuan Zombies to great effect and really whittle down life totals with it um, because he was able to wipe, you know, essentially the board every time. My, my deck obviously cared about creatures with power, toughness, one or less. So you, you deal two damage to them, they're going to die. Um, and that, that leads to a lot of bad, bad state. Your Cauldron Familiar definitely kept you in it, though. Um, my Cauldron Familiar, yeah. Cauldron Familiar uh, kept me in it. And then I think Dusk Legion Zealot, whichever one is, ETB, draw a card, lose a life, got me out of it. I <laughs> <laughs> um, heard that twice. And, and uh, we, we got within Gary range, which is an incredibly scary place to be. Another blackboard wipe uh, worth mentioning because it uh, it won me the final game of the evening is Evancar's Justice, which is four mm-hmm. mana, deal two to all creatures and all players, with a buyback of three, which is really important because, as we said, consistency's a little rough here, board wipes are a little rough here, so the ability to say, I will pay you seven mana for a deal two to anything just so I can play it again later is is hugely important. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think um, something I, I believe that Julian will go might go into uh, when we jump to the next back deck in a minute is anything that kind of can keep you up on resources or at least not bring you down is critical. Buyback, especially Evancar's Justice, and I think Capsize as part of one of the few kind of combos-ish in the format as a way to, you, you get the ability and then you can recur it as many times as you need super useful because the amount of card draw and the incidental card draw i would say where you know a creature will get you something or an effect gets you more than one or two cards uh is is very low so anything with buyback anything with retrace all those abilities that give you consistent access to an ability that is good is amazing Mm. overall how long did that uh did that game go was it I think, yeah, I think it was around 37 turns. Yeah, it was 37 turns between three players, uh, which means everyone took around 12 turns. Okay. Uh, so I think, I think we've talked over over Julian enough. I'm, I'm sure he's getting bored, a little sleepy over there. Uh, let's let's jump into the, the next game before we kind of waste more time. Uh, this, was the, this was the game where, based on what we believed uh, competitive pauper decks to be, we kind of built some of our own or took existing strategies and altered them a little bit. Uh, Eric, why don't you start us off with what, what deck you brought to to this game? For sure. Um, I'm going to cut ahead just a little bit here. Um, I used, it as a baseline for my deck, uh, the deck Corpse Tea by Elora, uh, part of the, uh, almost said Playing with Power, which is just a totally different group. Uh, please, <laughs> someone help me remember. The Triarts, try thank you. Uh I used uh, the deck Corpse Tea by Alora, also known as Cute Snail, uh, from the Tryhards list uh, as a baseline, and then sort of took my own spin on it and built it out from there. Uh, I sort of changed out some of the stacks package, some of the removal package and stuff that she was running, and ended up building the deck in my own eyes where, you know, maybe discard isn't quite as important, um, and just sort of focusing in on our game plan and consistency is going to be key. So I added cards like Death Greeter, Falcon Wrath Noble, Wellwisher, and Jaddy Offshoot to try and increase the amount of life that we're gaining, 
a couple of better removal cards in Feed the Swarm and Defile. Um, and then Chatterstorm, the deck already had sort of a Lightstorm theme, so I expanded on that. Sadly, I saw literally zero of those cards that I added, and uh, once again was mana flooded. <laughs> so, I have high hopes for the deck, but we'll see. Uh, someone who had a successful game want to talk about that. Sorry, Eric. I just was just so for the listeners. Did your deck have any like combos or anything that you were attempting to get to to actually win the game? Oh yes. Um, namely, uh, there are a couple of oh have infinite creatures enter the battlefield effects uh, in green and black, or even just mono green with uh, presence of Gond, uh, devoted druid, and uh, Ivy Lane Denizen. Uh, you can put a minus one, minus one counter on uh, Devoted Druid to untap it. So tapping it with Presence of Gond, you can just go forever as every elf that enters. Uh, Ivy Lane Denison puts another counter back on it to cancel out the cost of that loop. Um, and I believe uh, you can do the same thing with any persist creature in a sack outlet. Uh, as long as it's green, whenever it comes in, it'll just cancel out the sack. And then things like Death Creator, Falcon Wrath Noble. Um, there is uh, Intruder's Curse, I want to say, uh, is a, a curse that you put on yourself, where whenever a creature enters the battlefield, uh, you uh, the creature controlling player controlling that creature loses a life and you gain a life. So you stay life neutral the whole time as Dina or um, Evangar... Uh, Evancar's Justice? No. Evancar uh, of Blood, I think. Evancar of Blood, thank you. Uh, anyway, uh, one of those cards will drain out all of your opponents. Uh, and then I think Falconrath Noble and Death Creator might also be able to do it. I don't remember. But, uh, yeah. So, there were definitely some infinite combos in there. Uh, just had a hard time sort of getting into them and... Uh, I didn't hit any of my transmute cards, which is really unfortunate. So I wasn't really able to seek out or uh, tutor any of those cards. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I only asked just because I think you, you mentioned transmuting cards. You mentioned combos. Um, these are kind of some of the the base level of CPDH. Even even with our own brews, we kind of mm -hmm. learned that, and then with the actual CPDH deck list that we basically net decked uh, as well. So we'll talk about those later, but. They're just important to bring up uh, now, at least in my opinion. Absolutely. Uh, Thank I, you for reminding me. For sure. Yeah. I, now, now, Julian, um, before you go into your deck, I thought your pick of deck was really interesting because you kind of went way out of your, your comfort zone and picked someone that, you know, you've never, ever played before. Like, you know, if you were to pick, you know, think think listeners, you know, what, what Julian would normally play, this is very much not it. Uh, so, so, Julian, what, what did you decide to try for the first time in this game? You know, Chev, you're... You're right and you're not right, right? You're being sarcastic, which I appreciate. It's funny. Um, but if the listeners have been listening, they should be like, all right, well, Julian obviously is playing Esper Control or Demir Control or Blue Eye Control. Those are really the only options. Uh, and you're wrong. I did not play those. Uh, I actually played, played a Simic, Simic Control. I played a, Sim a Simic <laughs> deck, not Simic Control, a Simic deck. How many counter um, spells did you cast in a turn? Was, uh, it, was it two or three? It was twice. Uh, it was, that you did that? Don't... What was the max number of counter spells you had in your hand at a given time? That's what don't... I want to know because I think it got up to four. 
Well, technically, when I drew my entire library, I probably had like six or seven. But um, don't worry about that. Uh, I was playing a Simic deck, but I was playing Tatiova. I, uh, when we decided we were going to do this, I was like, well, there's a lot of uncommon creatures. I'm just going to I'm going to see what the Internet has to say. And then I saw somebody who was like, this is a Tatiova deck. And it's like kind of competitive. It wins with a combo. And I was like, let me read up on that combo. Uh, and then I was like, well, I'll just put this combo into a Tatiova deck and just play all the normal stuff, and I already know how to play this deck because I have it in real life. Uh, yeah, so I'm playing Tatiova, and basically you play Tatiova, and you play lands and ramp spells, and you just get to draw a bunch of cards and also pad your life total, which is great, which uh, helps you get towards your combo, which is basically uh, you assemble like High Tide, Ghostly Flicker, Archaeomancer, and you basically loop that stuff infinitely, generate infinite mana, and then once you gener generate infinite mana, you can draw your deck, and then you can either infinitely capsize all your opponent's permanents or mill them out um y usual trash you know assemb assemble assemble three or four cards get infinite mana and then you can do whatever you want but um uh well er eric might discuss this later but tatiova i did i did end up winning this game uh tatiova of course once again is still good just because just doing things that you normally want to do she allows you to just have more cards which helps with the uh consistency and velocity issue that we'll discuss later as well that that happens in these formats so i liked my deck i had a good time i, I don't think the other guys did i i do i, I want to clarify um i i've i was initially uh during the game i was sort of half very salty half screwing around and then i, I was looking back at this today as i was writing up my notes for the pod and i was like you know what i i'm not mad anymore i'm seeing this through a clear lens uh, I, th I think Tatiova is certainly really powerful. I don't think she is as busted broken as I was joking about her being last night. But having life gain in the command zone is super powerful. In Pauper EDH, you start at 30 life, and commander damage go is 16. So that, that sort of 10 missing life you start out with is uh, notable. And mm -hmm. so gaining life is, is much more important in this format than you would consider in regular EDH. Um, and then card draw is really missing because, uh, you might know and think, oh, Mr. Grimora and, uh, what's, uh, Ristic Study. Oh, they, those were both printed in common at one point. Blue's gotta be crazy. Banned. Both of them. Get them out of here. Uh, uh, rightfully so, because those cards are ridiculous and should never have been common. But that's, that's a conversation for another Jeez. day. Right. And, and Imagine also... drawing multiple cards during one turn in a pauper game using only common cards. What yeah, madness okay. would have to lead to that? I'd stopped caring because I want to talk about my deck, and I'm sure Oakley wants to talk about his deck, and we're kind of getting into the weeds here. Sorry. So, Oakley, why don't you tell us what you played before Eric tells us about how much he dislikes card draw in the command zone? <laughs> no, I, I, am I am trying to do it's what you late. told me. We'll get there. Fit Eric, the Eric. points we'll, at the we'll end there. of the podcast into the middle. I am trying to do as instructed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, well, this is on, this is on, uh, this is on curve, so to speak. Uh, because, you know, Eric's just talking about uh, starting at 10 less life. Uh, first of all, yes, uh, life gain in the command zone, very good. Uh, as I, you, one might have guessed, I definitely understood the importance of that, playing Gary. But also, I understood the importance from the opposite angle, playing this deck, <laughs> which was, of course, uh, my my very own Circara uh, deck. Um and this isn't just any old Sir Kara deck. This is a Dragon's Approach Sir Kara deck. So Dragon's Approach being um card that was just recently printed in uh, Strixhaven at Common. You can have any number 
of them in your deck, which includes uh, singleton formats, because why not? Um, basically, it's a three-mana sorcery that deals three damage to each opponent. Uh, this is really great with Sir Kara's uh, triggered ability, which is uh, whenever you an instant sorcery or Sir Kara deals damage to uh, an opponent, you get to exile the top card of your library and play that card till the end of the turn, if you'd like. Um, and that's sort of what the entire deck is themed around, just like cards that can hit uh, everyone, or as many targets as possible, uh, including yourself a lot of the time. I, I think one card is called Flame Rift, and it deals 4 damage to everyone for 2 mana, and that includes yourself. But, when you hit yourself, that means extra trigger off Sir Kara, baby. So, um, uh, we're here for it. Uh, it... it I think uh, playing this deck, I found out that it, it is definitely possible, and that 10 less life per player makes it uh, feasible to burn everyone out. And I think actually a lot of people realize that as well, because I got targeted instantly. <laughs> With uh, Once the second, I think, Dragon's Approach hit, we were like, oh, okay, we're down 20% of our life. This ain't good. Yeah, <laughs> so um, I, I probably could have played it better, and there's definitely some tuning I'd like to do for that deck, but uh, I, I enjoyed it overall. You also did get a little mana screwed. That's true. Yeah, that is definitely true for that game. Despite your mana screw, though, I, I actually think that I would have died or been like at such a low enough life total that someone would have just like attacked me for a, a couple points and like killed me if i didn't have tat gaining i bet you tat gained me 10 life over the course of the game and i think i finished mm -hmm. the game at like seven life or something so it's legit yeah it's definitely powerful uh and to to round it off i played a mono blue tetsuko deck based around a pdh deck i had built before but kind of learning of you know some of the things that we think are important to cpdh which is combos consistency and uh, just general control. Uh, added a bunch of con added a bunch of counter spells. Uh, added the the same combo that Julian ended up winning with the High Tide Archaeomancer and a couple tutors for that with transmute cards and uh, the wizard with wizard cycling and the sliver stuff. I forget who they are. Uh, but anyway, if that doesn't work out, we have a lot of infect creatures and a lot of proliferate. Uh, Tetsuko gives everyone with power toughness one or less unblockable. So you, you can see how that can kind of get out of hand with a few, like, two ones with Infect and then a couple others with Proliferate. And that's really the main way to win because even at 30 life, it's hard to kick someone in the shins to death before they kind of just slap you around a little bit. I will say, oh, though, yeah, let's, let's, your let's deck was dangerous. Let's game a little bit. What did, what did we see? Um, well, for this game, uh, I won, and... Eric, I mean, he was salty, but, like, he was rightfully salty. And also just giving me shit, because he likes to give me shit. But, like, 100% the fact that Tatiova... I played Tatiova on, like, turn 5, which I had ramped a little bit. So I think I had, like, 6 or 7 lands. And she literally just never died. And I played 1 or 2 lands a turn basically every turn from then on. And probably drew half my deck and gained a bunch of life. And The turn before you won, you had 50 cards in your library. You were fully through half your deck. Yeah, yeah. And I, I consistently had between five and seven cards in my hand, which yeah. for Popper, at least, at least I found in, in the other decks, I will go Hellbent like almost immediately. So that was huge. And like Eric was saying, um, also the other part of that deck is it just has like a million counterspells in it. And even though they're like bad counterspells, counterspells are just good because no one's ever mm -hmm. going to. Oh, yeah. E e bad counterspells no one's ever gonna like counterspell counter <laughs> and arcade well, denial. <laughs> 
and cancel well, that, and dissolve. Listen, yeah. I yeah, I yeah, I played like cancel and dissolve and like freaking fairies trick like three mana counter spells, you know, and it's just people are not double spelling in a turn and a lot of times people just won't have a counter for your counter, so it's just like sorry. Yeah. Um it the case in point being when Julian went for the win, both Chev and I had left interaction up. Chev tried to counter Julian's counters or Julian's uh, combo. Julian counters it. I gave his creature flying so that I could fight or like uh, sacrifice airy oofs to kill it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Julian also countered the spell that gave it flying. And so his ability to have the mana and resources to not only have his combo in hand but also have two counter spells to protect it was massive. And, and, and remember, this is Popper, so your combo is like four plus cards. It's not like a, a one-two pop sort of thing. Um, and I, I think, you know, we Eric, Eric touched on it a bit uh, for sure, but having access to all those cards when everyone else doesn't is a huge thing. And then having access to one of the forms of interaction in a format that has very minimal forms of interaction is also very huge. There are only so many ways you can kill something uh, Oakley experienced this a bit in game one, where the glut of common black removal spells are non-black creatures because they're from the early days of magic. We've seen a few ones sneak through the cracks recently, but it does hurt you when you're playing against another mono-black deck. I probably would not have been as, success as successful if his Executioner's Capsule, or whatever that one is, or a couple other of the, the spells he played, they had to target Eric um, to get any value out of them. So having access to something like counter magic in the only color that again can do it is powerful in EDH, but in PDH it's it's even more more oppressive. Yeah, and that comes to light with, as Julian said, he played Tat turn five or whatever, and she never died. Mm -hmm. Even though I was playing a deck with black in it, and you know it's not like uh, red doesn't have like creature removal. Tatiova just never died because we I think a few times, but it was countered. Yeah, <laughs> I think I countered one or two spells that were pointed at her, but still. Yeah, I tried to kill her with the the one you can pay for life uh, instead of the mana cost if you have a swamp. Out. Yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, but yeah, just your ability to protect her and the lack of good removal uh, made it tough. So Which, learnings: drawing cards is good. Yeah. Um, another learning combos are very good, but they are often many, many cards and it is hard to find those cards. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and also, but since there's not that much removal, your combo pieces will sometimes stay on the board. So you can maybe set up a combo over the course of two turns potentially. Yeah. I, I know I had three of the four required cards for the high tide combo in my hand as the game ended. I had high tide, I had an Archaeomancer, um, and I had a, I think I had a ghostly flicker, uh, but it was, it was almost enough to get there. I just needed, you know, a win because that could generate me, uh, infinite blue mana, but without any sort of draw triggers or a capsize, there's not much I can do with it. Mm. Um, one mechanic I, that was brought up, brought up, uh, recently, but I, I'd like to highlight again is transmute. Uh, mm -hmm. which is just, like, I feel like such a good mechanic for Pop Radiates with the lack of other tutors. There's no other tutors. You, you yeah. have Transmute, and you have the 
X cycling cards. Like, there's a reason that both Julian and I were playing the wizard cycling guy. Um, there's a reason that, like, I had a couple basic land cyclers in my deck as well. And especially with the common printed dual land cycle of Kaldheim, you can play the cards with swamp cycling or mountain cycling to a better effect now. But there are very, very few, besides Merchant Scroll, which I'm sure that Julian's thinking of, um, there are very, very... There's, like, two cards that are, you know, yo, go tutor a card. The rest are incidental effects that we'll greedily grab because they are the only things that common. And they're also all in black and blue. So if you're in Naya, for example, Eric's prominent domain, you don't have access to any any sort of searching for, for cards that you might want. There's also Mystical Teachings, which, again, black mystical and blue. Teachings, yep, that's a good one. <laughs> Another blue-black uh, good card. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you know, blue-black is definitely the dominant colors in this, and I know that's kind of the... Uh, probably common across a lot of magic formats but i feel like i've been saying this about regular popper for years it's just like leaps and bounds ahead of all the rest removal and counter magic like green green certainly can't do anything i think there's probably a couple fight cards for removal but then then you have just artifact and enchantment uh white has like two terrible counter spells and they do have some effects that exile creatures um that are are good i remember when i played a green white pdh deck i believe it was uh unicorn um the unicorn from modern horizons mm. where whenever a creature enters give it a one one counter hoping to get into some of that persist uh energy and repeat those and have the commander be a good part of that but there's just not a lot of not a lot of good interaction let's move on to the game that i want <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so for our for our final game um we took decks right from uh what we believe to be the cpdh sort of database quote unquote which is a list of decks curated by um the the tryhard community that's really pushing to get cpdh as a recognized format um just you know right off the bat or or ones that were suggested uh in their discord that we we recently joined i would so like to the, say that tryhard is uh they are self-proclaimed that is the tryhards we're not using that as like a, a derogatory term just yes, because yes, when you were saying is, it i was like the name i was like group. huh people might interpret that badly <laughs> And huge shout out to them for reaching out to us about like their format and like sort of mm -hmm. this baby that they've created and uh, giving us the resources to give it a try. It's super yeah. cool. And we, we really Definitely. appreciate it. So these decks are right from there. We're, we're assuming um, with the amount of knowledge and effort they put into this format, these are going to be the decks that kind of stand out or, or are close to as CPDH as possible right now. So this was in a sense going to are going into what we assumed would be the most high-powered game. Um, and, and let's talk about how that turned out. Eric, why don't you tell us what deck ended up uh, winning? Heck yeah. Uh, once again, I played... Uh, so the deck I modified for the previous game was Corpse T by Alora, also known as Cute Snail. Uh, the deck I played this game was Corpse T by Alora, also known as Cute Snail. Um, so what you're saying is you modified the deck and lost, and the unmodified deck won, is what I'm hearing. I was... I, all respect to Alora for creating this deck. I am right. My changes are good. Um, I want to see a, I want to see a changed um, Dina deck, Corpse T, versus the, the this Corpse T, and we'll, we'll, we'll see who comes out on top. We'll see. Why is it called Corpse T? Please, uh, someone explain. She's like... She drinks tea, and it kills a bunch of things. She's part of the... She's part of the dead people, like... Yeah, Witherbloom. She, yeah, she's part of Witherbloom, and she's drinking a cup of tea. It's a good name. 
Just wait till you get to my name, Julian, because I think mine still wins. But Eric, Eric, go into your deck. Yes. So, uh, as I talked about last game, uh, it's got all the same combos pretty much, except with a couple less of the uh, redundancy uh, creatures in there. It really relies on using Dina or Evancar Blood. And uh, focuses a lot more on stacks. It runs a lot of two mana, one ones that when it enters the battlefield, all your opponents discard a card, which can be very powerful, but. Uh, I was trying to sort of focus in on that life gain idea that I had identified as being pretty important and get some more redundancy there instead of redundancy on the discard. So I still had a fair amount of discard. Uh, so yeah, I discard uh, on creatures in this deck, discard on sorceries, uh, running things like, uh, what's the, there's a sorcery, it's three and a black and all your opponents discard a card and you draw that many. Siphon mine. Siphon mine. Siphon mine. Siphon mine. Yes. Um, so stuff like that. Beauty. My favorite card of all time. It's great. Um, and every time I've played this deck, it has been so close to assembling a combo because, you know, there's a couple of things out there where, oh, you can go tutor for an elf. Oh, you can like transmute into this one black card or that'll get you closer. Transmute into Ivy Lane Denizen. And so I'm always really close. I'm, I can consistently almost win. And this time, I finally did it. Uh, the deck won by uh, pulling out uh, some storm shenanigans in the middle of it with Weather the Storm, where I had Dean, Dina and Evan Carr blood out on the field, and a storm count of like four got me to gain 12 life and uh, deal Everyone lost eight, eight to everyone, which was super good. Because mm -hmm. uh, again, 30 life, eight's huge. Um, and then I just hung, it, hung in there until the end and uh, ended up just beating Jeff to death. <laughs> <laughs> I believe the the actual play that uh, beat Chef to death was an Evan Carr's Justice, as we previously mentioned, buybacked and then brought back again. Yeah. Uh, there's only so much a board of two twos can do against a spell that kills or deals two damage to everything. Where'd uh, you get deck, all those two twos? The deck that I played uh, also came from Alora, a uh, cute snail, and this one uh, they named Toast, which honestly fantastic. I was sold before I even knew the the strategy and the mechanics. The toast is TO for Tormod from the most from the Commander Legend set, uh, which is whenever a card leaves the graveyard, whenever one or more cards leave the graveyard, make a two-two zombie, um, and then the Ghost of Ramirez, uh, Di Pietro, which can't be blocked by creatures with toughness three or greater, and whenever it deals combat damage to a player, um, take a card that you discarded or milled uh, this turn and put it back into your hand. So you can see where kind of the, the synergy between these two guys are, uh, where you're putting things into your graveyard, removing them, and making zombies. So the idea here, it's it's more of a an aggro deck in blue-black. It has some of the same combo pieces we've mentioned before, ad nauseum now. Um, not ad nauseum, the card, just throwing in Latin so I sound smart. Uh, but a bunch of, you know, cards that use delve as a mechanic to pull stuff from your yard a lot of graveyard hate that you might turn on yourself to create more zombies um, some buyback things some jumpstart things and a lot of cycling as consistent draw because we found that i think i recurred a baron more probably three or four times drawing a card from it bringing it back drawing a card bringing it back and then making zombies off of it so overall the strategy is to flood the board with these zombies uh, and get a ton of use out of recurring cards from the graveyard that you might have discarded with powerful draw abilities. And I would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for those meddling um, kids. Absolutely. Quick question, Chip. Uh, 
Is there any dredge at common? And if so, is it in that deck? Um, I know shenanigans is at common. Um, it's not in here. There might be a couple cards. I, I don't know if they're in the deck or not, but they should be. Yeah, because that was... As you were talking through, like, oh, yeah, you can, like, mill yourself and, like, get cards out of your graveyard. I was like, oh, my God, Dredge would kill in that deck. Let's find out. Stankweed Imp? Yeah, I think Stankweed, uh, Stinkweed Imp is in there. One, two for three, flying, and Dredge five. <laughs> so that could definitely get there, especially, um, yeah, especially because the cards are coming from your library. You can get them back with the Ghost as well, which is a, a super useful thing if you end up milling something that you might have wanted later on. All right, I'm going to go now. <laughs> okay, send. Um, I played a, a deck. Uh, I don't remember the exact name of it. So let's just it's call crack -a -lack it... It's Drake, crack -a -lack and Drake, Drake. Uh, it is a Crackling Drake deck by Papa... Papa Popper. Thank you very much. <laughs> Big Daddy-o. Yep. Um, it is essentially a Voltron deck where you are trying to get as many instants and sorceries into your graveyard or into exile as possible um so there's a lot of like you know looting type effects uh and cards like um what is it burning lore no uh, something like that draw three that's, cards yeah that's that's one of them yeah. <laughs> okay uh, draw everyone draws three cards and discard three cards at random just to fill up your graveyard make uh crackling drake your commander huge and then, of course, on top of that, there are a bunch of uh, very low-cost cards that you can use to protect your commander, give it haste, etc. Um, as we've mentioned a billion times already, 16 is the magic number in this format, and uh, I'll be damned if I didn't get close at least a few times <laughs> to... Uh... You, got, you got close to the point where you could have hit me for 16 um, right when you uh, were killed. But yeah, especially with Crackling Drake, it was sitting at the 7 or 8 spot for quite some time. So, one two-hit wonder right there, and it's incredibly scary. That's pretty much all I have to say about that. It, it does play a lot of sweet cards, but uh, it's exactly as you'd imagine. And, I mean, I don't know, Crackling Drake draws you a card when you enter, so... Uh, there you go, you got the card draw in the command zone. It's better than Baleful Strix. <laughs> Looking at you, Julian. <laughs> hey, man, I like... Yo, listen, Baleful Strix a black... Rock, uh, Crackling Drake all day. That's all I'm saying, bro. I'll give a trample with Team of Battle Rage. <laughs> well, then I will be freaking sad, okay? I'll counter your Team of Battle Rage. Um, I also played an Is It deck, and I also conveniently played an Is It deck that likes to punch people in the face. Usually, Eric. Uh, I played a Dargo the Shipwrecker and Malcolm Kenai, uh, partners deck. Uh, this was made by Clay, whose Discord name is Clay. Uh, he's Wait, also I think the... you have to pause first to, to count for the underscores. It's like beat beat clay and then you continue ah fair enough fair enough fair enough. yeah but uh yeah clay, clay's a cool guy um he's also on the pdh uh, rules committee so he he knows what he's doing and let me tell you this deck he did. i well one i played this deck here but i also played this last week when we first started playing pdh and um this deck won both the games that it played that week kind of like pretty handily uh, but uh so it's 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 dargo and malcolm Keenine, and basically what this deck wants to do is there's two combos in it, which are uh, Thermopod, Dargo, and Impact Tremors. Uh, just look it up. I'm not going to explain it. And also uh, Banishing Knack slash Retraction Helix um, and any zero mana cost artifact and Fireweaver. 
Uh, once again, look it up. I'm not going to explain it, but you can click on the link in our notes if you're a patron, and it will take you right Ooh, to the deck and the deck. And then, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Support us on Patreon. Shout out for as low as one dollar. Easy. Um, yeah, you can click on this uh, link that I have in the notes, and it will take you to Clay's uh, decklist page, in which he has conveniently have uh, a bunch of custom categories that help me learn the deck uh, in the five minutes that I needed to, uh, you know, to uh, port it over and uh, then get it ready to play. So very excellent but anyway so it does those two things if you can find those cards in your deck uh, or you could just play dargo like really quick and all the time and just hit people for seven <laughs> trample which is a good way to kill people with commander damage which i have killed multiple people with commander damage and uh also honestly i killed chev with a with a malcolm damage one time which was pretty pretty funny that was rough that was a, that something, was rough. Yeah. something to uh to point out quickly is the reason that the Dargo and Malcolm is such a potent combination is when Malcolm creates a treasure for every player that was hit by combat damage by a pirate in a turn, each treasure is good for three mana when casting Dargo. Because, of course, you sack the treasure for one, and then Dargo costs two generic less for each creature and artifact you sack this turn. So these things can get really out of hand. I know Julian also played a Generator Servant that taps for two colorless. Uh, you sack it. And if the, the two colorless is spent on a creature spell, um, gives it haste. So again, that's tapping for four mana to bring out Dargo. And so Dargo's, I think, seven mana initial casting cost kind of reduces very quickly. And a 7-5 with Trample in this format is going to be problematic very fast. Now, jumping into to the game a little bit, um, this was definitely our quickest game uh, by turn count, which is an interesting kind of factoid for the decks that are closest to CPDH that we know of. Uh, some a caveat, of course, being we played a lot more aggressive decks in this match. You know, Crackling Drake is looking to end the game with, on any individual player with three hits. Dargo is clearly not going to be controlling much. It's going to be swinging as much as possible. Uh, and then while Eric played a more or uh, Staxi build, uh, my deck was also trying to get into that sort of aggro strategy by swinging with as many zombies as possible, even if it didn't kind of deliver in the way I wanted it to. So that was that. That's a fun fact, I think. Yeah. Well, I I think this this game in particular really kind of embodied a lot of our um our distillations of the format as itself. So mm -hmm. Chev, you you wrote the notes. You kind of spearheaded this effort. Why don't you kind of just lead us through? And if you want to like call on people to like answer certain questions, but like I would just say like why don't, why don't you just hit us through these last few things about like what 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 is the core elements of the format what should you be doing what should you not be doing etc yeah so i i i don't know about you guys um but but after all these games i definitely obviously had a ton of fun it's always great to play with decks that are kind of one outside my regular comfort zone and two use a lot of cards that i might not normally play with i know there's been a thing you know as we get longer as we as our magic lives get longer and longer etc uh, there's always the thought of trying to keep it fresh. And this was one of the things I think I saw a ton of really cool cards um, that I want to put into decks at this power level like immediately and brew a lot more. Um, but when it comes down to it, I, I do think there is slight differences between um, competitive popper DH and PDH, uh, but they, they basically come down to consistency and speed. Um, one of the big things that kind of lacks from these popper decks, as was mentioned by Oakley, is the ability to kind of get the pieces you need to win it's it's fine that combos exist but when you're playing a singleton hundred card format and you're looking for four cards it, it takes a while for you to get there so you need 
either the consistency of the tutors of transmute or cycling to kind of get them and and maybe at this when you're considering the format competitive you're taking out some of the cooler common creatures and including uh whatever the transmute cards are you know you're you're going to throw in as many of them as you can you're going to throw in merchant scroll you're going to throw in these pieces that hopefully get you that one combo in your color because there aren't many uh and then the speed at which you can kind of do these things uh is also important so either you need to get the combo pieces you need or you need to hit them before they can get the pieces and so you end up with either aggro or control and not much else i think i think these stacks decks uh, personally, I played a few Selesnya stacks decks when we originally tried this format last week. I was not really impressed with the way they kind of handled things. Um, and I think a lot of the time, those that strategy and other ones that don't kind of lean into either camp fall by the wayside very quickly. Yeah, I, I got a very similar vibe. Because um, th- those were the changes I made to Corpse to you were, this needs to be less about stacks and more focused on its own combos. Uh, and I... I definitely got a lot of the same feelings about the format. I think the the hardest thing, though, to kind of see is, uh, and I, Eric expressed this a little bit during during our games, is with EDH, for example, and CDH, there's not nece- not only a monetary difference, but there's a different sort of mindset you have to uh, embody while playing the game. You're worried about games ending in five to ten turns as opposed to the longer drawn out edh that we end up playing and so for for certain aspects like that you can't apply the same sort of distinct difference between pdh and cpdh i i think it's much harder for if you were to look at any given deck besides looking okay do you have the one combo do you have all the ways to draw imaginable in your colors it's much harder to look at a deck and see the difference or even if you dropped a cpdh deck into a pdh pod you wouldn't have the bigger disconnect that you would at the elder brother formats. Yeah. And I, I think it is just cause you're operating on, on like a reduced portion of the scale. Like mm-hmm. the best PDH deck on the scale of all EDH decks can probably really only get up to like a six or seven. And so then sort of you've, you've cut down the angle of like, Okay, well, a well-built PDH deck's probably still like a four, and so then a four and a six just aren't that far apart. Whereas a, you can have a well-built commander deck that's, you know, a five, six, and then a, a like perfect CDH deck that's a ten. That's just such a gap to cover. For me, really, the only difference between CPDH and regular PDH is just, are you playing the combos or not? Which, like, yeah, there's a bit of a mindset there where you're just like okay i need to be working towards these combos or not but we've talked about the consistency issues so it's just like it's basically you know are, are you are you gonna win with a combo or not really and there's there's mm-hmm. ways to sort of you know get the consistency like you can play some draw spells but like even in like my dargo deck it's a blue red deck right you think you'd be like slamming through the cards but like i played dargo really quick and then like was hellbent and then like drew three lands and then died so it's it's the variance is is the variance is like even more brutal as mm-hmm. eric will tell you in that one game where he drew like nothing but lands and and it's like basically just are you going to maybe draw all the cards in your four card combo or not and even if you're playing like regular pdh all the creatures are so bad that it's not like you're really like 
I shouldn't say they're so bad, but like they're underpowered. And it's, it's not like you're going to like come through and just like get crazy and win with combat real fast anyway. Mm-hmm. I, I do want to say that like I think your uh, your Dargo deck did commit to like the competitive aspect by playing what is essentially a bunch of like Cheerios, just like garbage equipment that's super cheap. And I think a less a deck less com- committed to the idea of being competitive would have played uh, like some aggro enabler or something. It's like, oh, creature, attacking creatures you control get like plus one plus oh or something. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas your deck was like, I want to play a bunch of trash equipment so that I can always have Dargo out. Malcolm's always going to be out there so that he can be like reducing that cost. And it, it came into it with a very refined and committed game plan, which I do think is another line that you can draw between competitive and uh, non-competitive pauper commander. Yeah. I, That's I, true. I would, I would sum it up mostly as like, is your deck literally doing everything it can to win? Is Do you have every single card that could make a difference in your deck or not? And that, that has to be the deciding factor because either your deck has the combo that is available to it or it doesn't and it's going to try to win through damage or something like that. Um, but I, I'd be surprised to see... I mean, I'm sure there exist. I'd be surprised to see blue decks that can really achieve without the the combo on hand to do those things. And you can still build a solid PDH deck without it, but you either need to commit 100% or you quickly fall away if there is a difference between CPDH and PDH. Chev, I... I just have this very funny image because you were like, you have to do literally everything you can to win. But like the cards we're working with are so subpar or like conditional at best that you're like, I just imagine like, like a little like tiny dog, like just like trying to like barely right, dog paddle to like, to like stay afloat. Yeah. Like, like you're, you're about to drown. It's like, are, are you going to drown or not? Basically, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, you're, you're just barely there because you're playing some transmutes and like a merchant scroll. Mm-hmm. So whatever keeps you afloat, grab that piece of driftwood and swim, baby. Oh, listen, I mean, Tat's a merfolk. She can swim real good, that's all I'm saying. Get her out of my format. <laughs> it's fine. She, you, you, will, you will see her in, in your, your normal EDH format. Uh, no, she's never really gone. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah, she's always around. She'll never leave. Um, Any other comments? Yeah, I was going to say, we kind of hit like a nice natural break. Does anyone want to? I'm good. Eric, I think the good? big thing um, to, to kind of ask or, or get final opinions on would be if if we recognize that there is a difference between PDH and CPDH, is there a version of it that you prefer to play? Um, personally, I think that for me, if, if we're going to the level of CPDH, for example, I think I enjoy that a little bit more because there's more you have the highest chance possible of playing an interactive game. I think PDH has a a much... You can build a subpar EDH deck, I think, and still do things at at an okay rate. You probably won't win, but you can do enough stuff. But I think if you end up with a not-so-good PDH deck, and this has happened to me a few times, you're, because of the lack of consistency, because of the lack of speed, you're a lot more likely to hit that variance that is just game over in this format. So for me personally, I think I had a lot more fun with the more specific decks we played um, just because it has the highest chance of doing something more frequently. I I would agree, Chev. I think 
I definitely like CPDH more, and for, for a couple reasons. One, just when we play EDH normally, like, you know, you, you don't, there's like kind of like that social thing, right? It's, it's such a social format that you kind of like, there's certain cards that you don't play, or like, you know, I could take this line, but I'm not going to because I don't want to take four turns and kill the opponents with um, commander damage, like might have happened, um, or, you know, whatever. Um, but for P CPDH, at least for me, it kind of like really just indulges that super cutthroat side of me. But like, it doesn't feel as bad, right? Because it's just a bunch of commons. Um, yeah. And also, and also, but like on a, a more serious note, like, I, I like working with one, these are like, they're not staples. Um, you know, yes. they're lower power cards. Yeah, 100%. They, that's, that's me all day. You get to see a bunch of different cards, but the, the, I think it's a very interesting dance because basically for CPDH, it's like who, who can assemble their combo first. But once again, all these combos are like four or five cards. You don't really have like good tutors or card selection. So it's like who can find it first and assemble the puzzle first? Like who, who can solve the Rubik's Cube first? And kind of second, at least for Tat, it was like I was constantly like I was like, I need to keep up at least two counter spells, but also like tutor for one card a turn or like try to tr draw into one card of a turn. And it's a very interesting dance personally for me to have to try and assemble that while also making sure that you guys because chev at one point you like tutored for high tide in i think our our brew cpdh game yeah the second yeah. game you like tutor for high tide and i was like oh crap i was like and i had two counter spells in hand and i was like these are strictly for chev for like the rest <laughs> of the game because i cannot and i only had one i only had one piece of the combo at that point i was lucky enough that i drew the other three over the course of like the next two turns and was able to to go before you like you said you had almost all the pieces but yeah, that assembling, since we all know that basically everyone is going to win by combo, that that dance of who's going to get there first, how can I delay you, but also, you know, and then, like, with the transmutes and stuff, um, just that sort of figuring out what you can do and what you can't, and kind of, like, trying to put all this piece together, that's a very, a very fun puzzle for me, so I, I like that part. Um, and I would definitely like to... And also, a lot of the combos are, like, really weird and... Uh, convoluted but interesting so it's They're cool to kind of see those convoluted things and require a lot of cards like i i, I think something that uh, might be touched on by the other two guys too uh is it, it a lot it feels a lot more fair and i think that could be in pdh in general as opposed to edh but for example in the last game when it was eric and me and in the final moments i felt a lot better i still felt bad um but i felt a lot better losing to evan Carr's justice kneecapping my small creatures going back into his hand hitting me again for the amount of mana one he used to mm. cast it and two it's i mean like it dealt two damage and in my head i was like okay you know i have a board of two twos that makes sense whereas i i'm thinking now in the same situation you know one v one i have a bit of a board i can overtake him if i get one combat and eric were to cast insurrection i would feel a lot worse about it you know, you're, you're paying probably half the mana over one of the turns, and it's kind of a, you, you can't do anything about this. You don't have any chance to kind of recover from it, and that's it. It's game over. So I, I feel like the combos costing four cards and those things really help the format. Like, you have time to kind of figure these things out. It's it's like the classic card game when someone knocks or whatever. Yeah, I think you guys or, did a great uh, job. Call something up. in poker, and then you have a whole turn cycle to kind of get back. Nothing really surprises you, in a sense. And so even at the competitive level, you feel like everything has a higher chance of coming out on top as long as you haven't hit that variance curve and are out in the middle of the wasteland. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, 
I think, in general, I had a lot of fun playing those games. I think, I think everyone else did. It was fun to, uh, it was fun to brew, both PDH and CPDH. I think we kind of collectively, if we were gonna go back to it, we'd probably go back to CPDH. Um, thanks to the tryhards for having a lot of like good decks on hand that we can kind of yeah. take as as reference. And I'm I'm excited to build off of those and use those as reference yeah. points now um as well but uh overall i think we i think we pretty much hit all all the bait like what what if, if you were looking to get into pdh or cpdh i think we pretty much hit all the things that could either be major turn-ons or major turn-offs and kind of what mm -hmm. you should be looking to do if you want to at least be competent in those formats yeah i think i think my last my last remark would be it's it's also whether or not you want to get into CPDH, like these are all the things to look out for. But also, if you are if you love EDH, but you're getting a little bit tired of it or things are getting a little less exciting, jump to PDH. It's just a drastically different card set. It features a very unique niche that you can kind of play with. And I know um, one of the things Julian mentioned after the games last night uh, in our Discord was like, you know, maybe I want to actually try something in EDH with uh, Dargo and Malcolm Kenai as kind of a fun low-powered command commander pair and i felt the same way about tormod and the ghost of ramirez di pietro so it's you have this dawn kind of moment where you have the potential to find new and interesting commanders and creatures that you might have passed over while you're playing at those higher levels because there's a lot higher chance for playing different commanders and coming out reasonably i would say and so it gives you a chance or excuse to try these lower powered things and decide if you really want to play with it um which could be yes one of the the most exciting moments that I've had in the last week was literally going to Scryfall, typing in rarity uncommon type creature and seeing 7,000 results come up and just being like, I could choose any of these. There are so many options. And just like looking, through, I mean, I literally only looked through like the first couple pages because I was like, all right, my attention span is this small. <laughs> so but, many um, options on board. But yeah, but like, I mean, there there is so many options, especially if you're not going the CPDH route. Yeah. Um sort of to Jeff's point, I really do want to throw out there, like, if you have even been playing, like, CDH or any other format that's much higher power, and you, it, it's like getting off the highway and stopping at a rest stop. Where, like, and yeah, you're, you're like, oh my god, I didn't realize, like, how tense I was. Like, this is just, I'm big chilling. And it, this is not to, like, disrespect, like, the competitive nature of the format. It's still... It's like if you got off at a rest stop and there were like little go-karts and you were like, oh, this is cool. This is fun and relaxing. And yeah. it's... <laughs> go-karts is a great way to describe this and yeah. I love it. As opposed to like, if you're playing CDH, that's like, that's yeah, like you, F1. You're you know? out there driving four Yeah, yeah, you get off that and you're like, ooh, that was a lot. I'm going to go with my kid to the theme park and we're going to like run around this circle eight. And my engine's a little bit busted because I drew nothing but lands, but it feels... Less bad. You got the bad go kart. Yeah. yeah, you got the one <laughs> with the bum up. wheel, and you're like, ah. But, right. But like you know, like your your friends or slash your you know your kids are having fun, right? They're like, they're playing with yeah. you know, yeah. They're playing like the game where you like pop the shoot the balloons and you know all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I, I would give a strong recommend to anyone who even is like, oh, well, that might be for me, or like I might be interested in this. Give it a try. It takes almost no effort. It costs you almost nothing financially. Uh, all of these decks are mm -hmm. laughably cheap, um, and especially if you were to build them on like $25 MTGO, like, dude, Ooh. 
lose five dollars <laughs> in the laundry. <laughs> if you wanted to like uh you know, if you wanted to like build a, a PDH or a CPDH deck and then just like, you know, I don't know, maybe hit us up and be like, Hey Eric, let's uh let's have a little little showdown, maybe even do it on the stream. That'd be like pretty exciting. I definitely think you should I do would that. Sh I would show up for one of my own streams if you sent me that DM. But Julian, wait, how would they find Eric? Well, Eric's right here. Hello. He's he's in our Discord call. But uh, I'm in my uh, in my office. You know, if listen, 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 listen. I'm I'm tired and I've done this way too many times. If you want to find us, all that shit's in the podcast show notes. It's right there. Just look at it. Uh, we're on we're on YouTube. We're on Twitch. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. We have an email. We have our own freaking website. Literally, literally, just just go to just go to your favorite social media platform or whatever or thing and just search the hex drinkers. There we are. Look that's at text drinkers. Find a little vaporwave snake. God, that's what us. a beautiful boy. Yeah, that's pretty much it. The, you know, the one, the one real plug I will though, Patreon. If you like content mm -hmm. like this, if you want to hear us, uh, you know, continue to bullshit our way through this thing called content creation, go to Patreon. Support us for as little as one dollar. Uh, you get access to the show notes, which Eric so handily pointed out, and I have been proven wrong because uh, this is an hour and a half podcast and i was really hoping it was gonna be 55 minutes um we have six full pages of notes uh very detailed on all of our thoughts about this we have the deck list that you can see um you can also get access to the full unedited podcast so you're probably missed out on a lot of good uh, at least us making fun of each other uh in this and uh, a bunch of other stuff you know so Go support us on Patreon if you like the content. If you want to see us continue to do this thing, uh, we really appreciate it. And shout out to all our patrons who are listening right now, who also have early access technically. So they're listening almost a week before the rest of you scrubs. That's true. All our, our, all our hot stock tips that we take out of the edited cut um, are going to be sad when they spike. Yeah, for real. So uh, this has been Jules for Eric, Chev, Oak, and the popper format as a whole. We are the Hex Drinkers, and we're signing out. Da -na -na -na.